Welcome back to Teaching Matters, the University of Edinburgh's hub for discussing, promoting, and showcasing teaching and learning around the university. We are a website, blog, podcast, and possibly most importantly, a small group of people passionate about providing platforms for conversations surrounding teaching and learning. This episode is part of our Teaching Awards series, which features conversations between nominees for the Edinburgh University Students Association's 13th Annual Teaching Awards. This year, 2,680 nominations were made, and a select few made the final shortlist. This series features conversations between these nominees, where they reflect on their experiences and share good practice. Today's conversation is between Brittany Blankenship and Philip Tineski, two nominees for Student Tutor of the Year. They discuss the relationship between their research and teaching, how their roles as tutors has changed over the past few years, the difficult task of facilitating engagement while teaching in online classrooms, how they've adapted their practices in both teaching and research in the last few years, and much more. Without further ado, here's Brittany and Philip's conversation. Hi, my name is Brittany Blankenship. I'm a fourth year PhD student, which means the time has come to be done very soon um, in psychology in the School of Philosophy, Psychology and Language Sciences. I've been a PhD tutor now for three years and I teach mostly quantitative methods and statistics courses, but I do also teach some tutorial based classes like critical analysis in year three, but I teach all ages of students. So all the way from first year up into master's degree. So I've taught five different levels, of course, let's say. Yeah, teaching is just my very favorite thing to do. I just love it so much. That's me. What about you, Philip? Hi, my name's Philip, and I'm a PhD student researching LiDAR for self-driving vehicles at the School of Engineering. I joined the research group back in 2020, and since then I've been getting involved with tutoring and engineering classes as soon as it was possible, really. In fact, one of my main motivations for doing a PhD was to pursue a potential career in education. I realize when you've introduced yourself, I forgot to say my research, (laughs) which I guess tells you like how much I like teaching more than research. I do enjoy research as well, but I forgot to mention, maybe also because I'm nearing the end, I'm a little bit like traumatized by the idea of that needing to be over. But my research is in cognitive aging. So I look at the different ways that people age and whether or not that is something where they're aging without, say, a neurogenitive disease like a dementia or Parkinson's, things like this, or if they're aging, so-called healthy aging, so without one of these diseases and how that looks across the lifespan for different groups of people and also what that looks like for interventions that you can do, things that you can do to help improve quality of life, say, after there is a diagnosis. Very cool. So uh, teaching-wise, how have you found this academic year compared to previous academic year? Because you'll have been going right from, well, you've gone from pre-pandemic to during pandemic to post-pandemic. You've seen the full span, is that right? (laughs) Yes, yeah, I have. It's been really interesting, and it feels like a much longer period of time thinking about those differences than it actually has been. Like, it feels like it's been more than three years. I think we can all say that, right? For The pandemic feels much longer than it actually has been. But then at sometimes shorter, it's very strange. But it's been really interesting because I didn't anticipate being back in the classroom for the second semester. I, for some reason, thought that it was still going to be partially online, but all of my teaching was actually in person. And it was... Difficult to navigate. So in my context, we most of the classes that I teach 
are statistics courses. So we use computers and that'll be in a computer lab, but socially distanced with a mask, trying to explain code to someone is a challenge I didn't anticipate ever needing to face. But there were ways around it, you know, with like sharing screens and that sort of thing. But I do feel that honestly online may have been more effective in that case with the computing software because you could share screens much more smoothly. But there is something to be said, you know, of in-person being able to read body language and make sure students are picking up on things. And like, you can feel when a student, you know, wants to ask a question, but maybe is a little nervous, whereas online, it's a bit more difficult to do that. Have you felt the same? Yeah, absolutely. So my my experience of teaching things over Teams was was through last year. And that was mostly in a class that I was involved in, which was called Engineering One. So it's a class that mm-hmm. all engineers take. And uh, we were just teaching them sort of all around good skills for all engineers, regardless of whether you're going into electronics or civil or chemical or mechanical. And so one of those classes that we were doing was a tutoring session and it was all online. And this was just as things were starting up. So it was new to students and it was new to tutors and, and the people that were trying to run it all. And so gauging reaction was was really difficult. I mean, first off, that was my first, I think that was my first tutoring experience, like full stop. So oh, that really? made it tricky. Oh, goodness. Not being able to see kind of people's reactions and and also I think cultivating engagement was a little tricky when you're not seeing people. So over yeah. time I kind of learned to to start off with a little like icebreaker at the start of each mm. section. So just and not even an icebreaker that's like, what's your favorite ice cream or something? Just something that's completely no you don't students don't have to give any opinion or anything. It's just what's your name and like what discipline of engineering are you hoping to go into, whatever. So that way, it's a really simple, easy question that each student can just go around and enable their audio and they've said something and they've broken that ice and they can then feel a bit more willing to share and discuss. And especially in the classes we were doing for that course, it was all about engagement and working through things together. Yeah, I found as well that the icebreakers can be really helpful, but in particular, like you picked up on when there's not it's not the sort of traditional share a fun fact where you sort of need to think of something, what is fun, et cetera. It's really helpful to do just very point blank. What did you have for breakfast? Did you not have breakfast? Something like that. And something else when it was only online that I started doing that seemed to be quite effective was I was using Mentimeter. Have you, are you familiar with this? No. It's a, um, it's so cool. It's a online sort of slide sharing voting platform where you can have students do like a quiz together as a group or can reply to questions and it shows up live on the screen. So I would do things like pick memes or gifts and be like, which one are you today? And then someone, I'm like, why did you feel that you were the sad cat? Or like, why are you drowning in a cup of coffee? And then I would always say which one I would be more like and then try to open the conversation outside of just what we were teaching to get people to have some social interaction. Because especially when things were online, I don't know in your department, but in mine, I had many students, the majority actually, which makes me quite sad, where what I was teaching them was the only synchronous interaction they had for the entire academic year. And that was just really difficult. And it, it, I did feel quite a lot of pressure because I was like, this is the only contact you're getting. I don't know if it's, are you satisfied? I'm not sure. So I, I really felt the need to do more than just talk about what I was teaching them to check in because no one else was doing that. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's excellent to hear. Yeah, I can imagine 
students kind of craving just some sort of interaction and yeah. for that to not just be academic so that was a really good idea. Did you find that like the classes you were teaching that was sort of the only synchronous during the height of the pandemic or was it different in your department? I I did have uh, quite a lot of syn synchronous stuff that I was involved in so so it was a little different for me and mm. that class that I was mentioning that was uh, all online that eventually moved to a kind of hybrid style <clears throat> very quickly and getting to see oh, the okay. students in person actually made a big difference and not not just for the students but also as as a as a tutor it made a lot more fun and and seeing yeah it does seeing faces and reactions so it was lovely yeah I find that like in reflecting on how I think a session went I'm much more confident in my ability to critique myself and reflect when it's in person because there's just more stimuli to use and like data to look at to reflect yeah. on it otherwise it's just like did people talk yes or no when it's online and that's not necessarily reliable all the time yeah yeah how have you found balancing teaching and research so you mentioned you started teaching during the mm -hmm. pandemic so did your research need to shift quite a lot so if, if I talk purely from a research perspective to start with, so yeah. um, I sort of, my PhD, the, the whole time it started, the, the whole time I've been doing it, um, I've only ever known a, a, a pandemic situation. <laughs> so oh, right. I, it okay. wasn't really a pre-pandemic PhD for me, you know, a couple of months, but uh, other than that. So I've been, you know, based from home for the for the entirety of that. And it's it's been okay. I I, I think in terms of, negative impacts the main w one would be the fact that there's no spontaneous interactions with other PhD students or academics these yes especially yeah. well I, I mean that, that I get I'd imagine that's important in any discipline but in engineering ideas spark through conversation with other engineers um, or breakthroughs that you might have in your research or just ideas that you never have thought about on your own but just through talking through something with someone else you can't really do that when you're all working from home you know pinging someone on teams just for a casual conversation just isn't isn't the norm um, and and i can see why you know you don't want to just interrupt someone when they're in the middle of something where whereas if you're in the same room as someone you can see when someone else is, is having a break and you can have a quick chat with them and um, those kind of spontaneous conversations i think have really suffered yeah um, i agree in my department we have a really beautiful concourse and that's something, so I was lucky enough to have pre-pandemic PhD time, which only once it was gone, did I realize how wonderful it was, um, only in reflection. Um, but in particular, like you said, with other colleagues or staff members, those sort of just spontaneous conversations while you're getting a cup of coffee or like having your lunch are so important and really help build build a sense of community. And without them, it's really tricky, really tricky. And I can imagine, so in my field, we, we sort of have like mini labs. So you still have a sort of like little lab conversations, but for engineering in particular, I could see that that would be a really big negative to have that gone. Did, you, did your department or, or your research group attempt to do Teams coffee breaks? And if so, yes. how did that go? <laughs> yes, I think there was definitely a point in time where everyone was just oversaturated with online activity and it the sort of coffee break thing was one of the first to go after because remember there was a time when everyone's like pub quiz let's do it 
It's <laughs> we all want this. And then after a few weeks, we're all just like, never mind. We don't want this. There's too many online meetings. And I think that was one of the, as I say, one of the first to go because it wasn't it was difficult. Like it was awkward as well a little bit. You can't branch of... off into conversations, right? Everyone yeah. has to have the same conversation. Exactly. And that's part of those spontaneous conversations that make them so effective is you can branch off or you see someone walk by and like, oh, I know you know about this thing. Let me talk to you about that. Or did you read this paper? Like I was wondering, I thought you might like it. Whereas when it's all shared online, every, yeah, everyone has to be involved in the same thing. And that's a little weird. Did your department do those? We attempted to, but even if they would happen, sometimes no one else would join. So oh, yeah, um, yeah it, it, it didn't last too long in our, in our departments. Yeah. yeah, I do think it was just like a overdoing the online meetings thing. Yeah. Definitely came from a good place because I did, yeah. you know, it was trying to fill that gap that I originally was was talking about, which is this like non, not, non-interaction with other people in, in, in the group. And so it was it was a good attempt at trying to fix that, but it was just uh, it didn't quite work out. Yeah, that's one thing where I think the uh, there's a lot of benefits to online learning, I've realized and I've can recognize how it can be really effective. But there are some things that just cannot be replaced from in-person interactions. And I think these sort of collegiate interactions are one of them. So um, have you adopted or learned any any new techniques since since your time as a, as a tutor? You know, it's been, as you said, three years now. Yeah, I've definitely become so much more comfortable, in particular after online teaching, with silence. Like I can confidently sit there for a solid five minutes with a smile on my face waiting for someone to talk. <laughs> Whereas before teaching, if there was an awkward silence, I would feel the need to fill it immediately. And now... I don't, which I think is a good skill. I don't know if that's, I I don't know if I call it a skill, but I think it is. And it does help trying to get students to interact, even if it's just, you know, chat versus audio. So I guess that's another thing I've, I've really learned how to do is multitask looking at different screens and things, you know, trying to manage a chat while also talking at the same time while having students speaking as well can be a little overwhelming and it was indeed a little overwhelming at first but I think I've gotten the hang of it more or less. What about you? So in terms of evolving as, as a teacher this is really my first kind of deep dive into teaching and tutoring um, since I joined the university so I think some of the things that I try to, to do is just be honest and also try to be relatable so if there mm-hmm. is a topic that's being taught to the students that they're having trouble with just acknowledging that actually that is a difficult topic and it's okay if you're not quite understanding it first like from from the first instance and also another thing is especially in engineering a useful skill is is like troubleshooting and trying to fix problems yourself so as part Mm -hmm. of it as being a a tutor it's kind of part of your job to help fix problems (laughs) when things aren't going well but sometimes even I don't know why stuff's not working. You know, as you know, in, in programming, sometimes you get a bug and you can't just yeah. instantly look at a, a computer and know where that bug is coming from. Right. So rather than yes. kind of <laughs> pretending like, oh, I, I know what's going on or or I know how to fix that. I'll just say, you know, oh, that that is a good question. I, I'm not sure. Shall we shall we figure it out together? And then that that way of that process of, of figuring 
a bug or a problem out together with a student, A, shows the student that I'm not the oracle of all knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> and also, yeah. B, kind of shows them the, um, the process of how to figure out a problem and, and empowers them to do, to do that themselves. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. I, especially, I think we have a shared experience there with the sort of coding side of things, because I, I try to explain to my students that coding isn't necessarily knowing how to sit there and immediately write code. It's having the confidence to be able to Google something and then adapt it to your situation and know what resources are available to you and how to use them. And that's working with the students, I think, is really, really effective in that context in general. Well, when with any teaching, I think. I don't view teaching, and I feel you might agree, given what you've shared, as a monologue, but a dialogue. And I always go into a teaching situation and hope I can learn something, learn a new way of explaining something that helps a student or a new perspective that a student might be bringing that I hadn't considered and how I might be able to adapt what I'm trying to explain conceptually to them, to their point of view. And it's really, I think that makes impactful teaching. Like I can think back to my undergraduate degree and the teachers and professors I had that I sort of looked up to the most were those exactly like you shared who didn't pretend to be the oracles of all knowledge because no one is. But recognizing that we all are learning continually really makes things so much more fun and also relatable because mm -hmm. everyone is learning all the time. And that's beautiful. Learning is so fun. Well, I think so, at least. I, you're nodding, so I think you agree. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think actually, just to finish on the topic of, uh, of programming and tutoring when it comes to programming and coding, I think what, one thing that I heard one of the academics say when they were teaching, I think it was the first class, the first lab that we were doing, one thing that he said to the students, which I, I think is, is, is really useful to, to say, is that when it comes to, to coding, it's like learning to ride a bike in terms of you can read all you want about how to ride a bike, but until you actually try it, you're never actually going to be able to learn to, to ride a bike. Um, you know, unlike a lot of topics where you can sit in front of a screen and read and digest information and then understand it, program is slightly different. You actually actually have to get stuck in before you can, can learn it. Yeah, that's a great, I might borrow that. Yeah, well, yeah. I'll credit to someone in engineering said this. I've used it ever since I heard it. Yeah, so. I really like that. So how about you when it comes to balance? Uh, I guess, firstly, let's just, just talk about the, the research side of things. How, how have you found that? I've found in particular the, so I was pretty good at balancing data collection and teaching and data analysis and teaching, but I'm currently in a heavy writing stage and the balance has become more difficult. I think because writing, I don't dislike it, but I don't love it as much as I love the other parts of doing research. So I think it's not so much that it's difficult for me to balance, but I just prefer to spend my time teaching. <laughs> so I do a little bit more on that. Um, so in my department as well, we have something called the Skills Center, which is absolutely fantastic, where students can book one-to-one -one appointments to talk about a piece of writing that they're working on or some statistical concepts, things like this. So. I've been like, oh, I could just do more appointments instead of writing, which is sort of shooting myself in the, my foot, um, but that's okay. So I've the balance is possible. It's just I've not been great about it recently, but I've reflected on that. So I'm addressing it now. What about you? 
Yeah, so in the first semester of, of this academic year that's just gone, I definitely overcommitted myself to teaching. There are a few classes that I got the opportunity to teach with, which I really wanted to get involved with. And so I kind of said yes to all of those opportunities. Hmm. Um, so then coming into second semester, I, I decided I need to scale back a little bit just to focus a bit more on, on research. But there were quite a few lecturers that ended up actually needing a hand with tutoring and, and struggling to find anyone else. So um, I ended up tutoring more classes than, than I was originally expecting. Um, oh, okay. But it was, you know, I'm, I'm still genuinely pleased that I did those classes. I feel like these days there's, we've gone through trends. There was like a time when everyone was saying, like, you have to say yes to everything. Like, yes. take every opportunity yeah. that you get, say yes to everything. And now I feel like the trend is say no to everything. Like, empower yourself and yeah. <laughs> all this kind of stuff. But there are some times when you just can't say no, right? You need yeah. someone genuinely needs help, then you offer you offer that your hand. So, so I um, I, I helped with with some of these classes, and um, and I was just upfront with the lecturer. I said, you know, I was really trying to not overcommit to tutoring this this year. So, um, I will help, but if possible, can I only restrict myself to this many hours? And I think by being upfront in that way, that's helped to to kind of set expectations to the lecturer and, and to the class. So, good um, for you, yeah. I also, not this year, but the year prior, I did something very similar where I overcommitted in semester one and then in semester two was trying to not and then ended up with a very similar workload for more or less similar reasons of certain courses needing assistance or actually, no, this is the same reason. And it is really difficult. And I think as a PhD student in particular, because we're here, we do a PhD to become independent researchers and you don't know what experiences you need to at, at the end to get there and so it's so difficult to say no to things because you come to this university you work in the lab you're working in you work with the supervisors you're working with because they're going to provide you opportunities and it's it feels really weird to say no thank you or no I can't do that when that's the whole reason we're sort of here and it's only as I say, I'm a fourth year and it's taken me four years to figure that out. Um, and it's, if anyone's listening to this, uh, you can't say no, it is okay. <laughs> but it, I know it is tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard balance. It is. So do you have, Philip, any experience recently that you look back really fondly on in teaching? Or has there been something that stood out to you in the, this year, teaching-wise, as something really positive? Uh, good, good question. So... And the first thing that comes to mind is one interaction I had with a student recently. Um, so we sat down at the desk and she asked me through some questions that she she wasn't quite understanding in the course material. So we went through one by one and she said, OK, so this is my first question. We went through that and then I, I kind of helped her through that. Went to the second question. OK, so this is my second question. Why does this happen? Uh, and then I explained this away. Third question. Why don't you tutor the Thursday sessions? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you only here on Mondays? <laughs> so that was quite nice to hear that you know my presence was was enjoyed. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. And how about you, Brittany? Do you do you have any uh, experiences um, with all fondly? Yes, I have so many. One recently that comes to mind is. So I've, I've been around, as has been clear from this conversation, in my department for a while now as I'm a final year PhD, and I've taught many different courses at many different levels. So there are 
students now who are in their fourth year who I taught in their second year and have gotten to know quite well because I've taught the next course that they took, et cetera, et cetera. And also in these one-to-one appointments, have gotten to know them as well through their other courses that aren't statistics related. And I have a group of students who I didn't know were friends, but I knew them independently from, you know, different experiences I've had teaching them. And they invited me to an event that they were organizing for undergraduate students to talk about what it is to do a postgraduate degree. So, you know, to do a master's degree or PhD, et cetera. And they asked some PhD students and staff members to give their experiences and in their email, which was the cutest thing ever. And I've told them I've taken a screenshot of it and I'm probably going to frame it because it's just so lovely. They signed their email, Brittany's fan club. And that's when I, (laughs) my heart exploded. Um, And that's when I didn't realize they were all friends, but I I recognized their names together. And then when they signed, I was just like, oh my God, that's just the sweetest thing ever. And they, those students in particular, always recommend me to other, their colleagues and and peers for these sort of one-to-one appointments at the writing center and things. And it's just like really, really sweet. And it's just quite funny as well, but fan club. I think that's the greatest sort of thing I can think of. Like that's just the nicest thing someone could say, that you have a fan club. Yeah, that's lovely. Sounds like you're getting a mini fan club as well. <laughs> you're on the way. <laughs> By the time you're my my year, maybe you'll have one. If yeah, I'm... one more year. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Great. Oh, well, I think that's a lovely place to finish it then. Yeah, I um, agree. So it was really nice to meet you, Brittany. Um, yes, you too. And long live the, the, Brittany, the, fa- the Brittany fan club. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of our Teaching Awards series. Teaching Matters is brought to you by the University of Edinburgh's Institute for Academic Development. For more posts and conversations about teaching and learning, head to our blog. We'd be delighted for you to join the conversation. To do so, please email us at teachingmatters at ed.ac.uk. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider following us on Spotify or subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review. Music for today's episode was provided by Hook Sounds. In the meantime, stay curious.